Today we're starting in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, and continuing to learn about walking our talk and the truth about really loving others. Here's Pastor David. 14 through 16, let's look at these. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus, for you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us, and they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Now listen, why are people different doing the different personality, doing the hypocrisy thing, besides the selfishness and the rest of that. Why do people want to be one person at church and a different person out in the community or at school or at work or whatever? Why do they want to do that? Because of this. Because of what he just said. Hey, listen, you all were imitators of the churches in Judea. What did that mean? Was that like a great thing? No, it meant you were persecuted. You had to go through some stuff. You suffered the same things that they did. Right, Because the Jews in Jerusalem, or some of them in Judea, were persecuting the church. Who was with them, by the way, who did that? Paul, who's writing the letter. He's one of the people who was doing that. He knows all about it. He was standing there when they stoned Stephen, the first martyr of the church. They were suffering. He said, now when we came to you in Thessalonica, we, we've, we read the story. We know what happened. Paul and Silas had to run out of town at nighttime because the riots and the difficulties that were coming, the church was under persecution. They were under persecution. So why do you act differently in different places? Because you don't want that. You don't want the persecution. Right? Being real means exactly what you are scared it will mean. Let me just be clear so you're not, I'm not pumping you with bubble gum and, and butterflies. Being real means exactly the thing that you are afraid it will mean. Exactly the thing that you are afraid it will mean. It means that some people will reject you because some people reject Jesus. It's going to happen. I'm not going to pretend to you like being real is going to keep everybody happy with you. Anyone who is telling you that is selling you something. And I got nothing to sell. This, this sells itself. You're with it or you're not with it. The Holy Spirit speaking to your heart or is not, right? And he is. That's why you're here. Living real will be exactly what you fear it will be and exactly what you hope it will be. Both. There's a price to being real. There's a price to not being a hypocrite. And when I was young, and I wasn't really walking with the Lord, but I wanted to play, wanted to play church, I wasn't willing to pay that price. I, I understood it completely. If I was to walk straight and not veer off at every group of people that I knew, I was going to suffer some persecution. Social, being socially ostracized, not being able to do the things I want to do, or hang out with people that I wanted to hang out with, or whatever it was. I knew that I was going to pay a price if I wanted to not be a hypocrite and walk that straight line. I knew it. There was no question about it. I wanted to have my cake and eat it too. So I just played. And I found out what we all find out, who walked down that road. That you become a fake person. And you don't only dishonor all your friends who you're being fake to, but you dishonor yourself, and more importantly, you dishonor God by being that way. You become lukewarm. You're neither in or out. And you don't get to see the benefits 
that Paul and Silas and Timothy got to see. Yeah, there was trouble. There was persecution. Probably worse than any of you will experience, for all I know. But there was also some pretty amazing things. They got to see the transformation and change that the gospel brought. They got to see the word of God implanted in these people who believed it because of the love that Paul and Silas and Timothy were showing that Jesus Christ was giving through them. Right? They got to see it take root because the people took them seriously. Now, your ability, your ability to speak truth is compromised when you do not live the truth. Your ability to speak truth is compromised when you do not live the truth. This is true. You've seen this with your own kids. If you have children and you say, hey, you need to not do whatever, and they come back with, as soon as they get old enough to come back with, but didn't you, didn't you do that? Didn't, well, well, if I'm not supposed to do that, why are you and mom able to do this? Right? Your, my ability to speak truth is compromised when I don't live truth. It's no different when you go out in the world and have friends and have coworkers and have people at school and whatever, and you live a certain way. Every time you go against, you live against truth, you compromise your ability to ever speak truth to that group of people. Let's finish the passage out, 17 through 20. But we, brethren, haven't been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, right? We're away from you in, in our bodies, but our heart is still with you. We, we love you. That's the kind of love they have. Endeavor more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul. This is, how we, this is the first place where we know that although this is from Paul and, and, and Silas and Timothy, really it's Paul who's doing the writing, right? Even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Listen, they missed them. I mean, really missed them. They loved them. If you, if you didn't get to come to church for a week or two weeks or a month, have you ever been in that situation? Do you miss these people? That's how they were. They missed them. They really, really loved them. They had real affection for the Thessalonian church, for the people in Thessalonica. Their hearts were with them. They wanted to be with them. They wanted to come back, but they experienced some kind, we don't know exactly what, some kind of spiritual warfare that actually kept them from going back when they had wanted to go back. And then eventually they were able to send Timothy, as we'll read about later, right? But then we see this language that really completes the parent-child illustration we saw earlier. Right, it, it completes it. it. says, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Remember what I said about what children do for us? It's that joy. It's that crown of rejoicing. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Jesus is going to come, and Paul and Silas and Timothy are going to be sitting there saying, here's the Thessalonians. We were faithful to you. We loved them, honored them. We lived justly and morally uprightly, and, and, and you worked through us and your Holy Spirit, and here they are. Here are these brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul and Silas and Timothy will have joy and glory and rejoicing 
when Jesus Christ returns for his church and they get to say, let me present to you the Thessalonian brothers and sisters, along with a lot of others, including you and I, who are now still reading the work that Paul wrote through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're still studying it. Now, do you know who you will be presenting for your glory and joy when Jesus Christ comes back? Or will you be looking around awkwardly? Who will you be presenting? Do you ever dream of being at school in your underwear? You ever have that one? <laughs> totally had that dream. A lot of times. It's weird. I, I should probably get checked out. I'll also have this one where it, in my dream, it's like the last day of class, and I realize I've never been to any classes. This was also reality once for me, but that, it's a dream that I have, right? The, the kind of dream where you're thinking, I've got to do something, and I don't have the thing I need to show to do it. You better have what you need when the time comes, or the experience that you have is unlikely to be joy, Right? You come empty-handed, you're not likely to have joy. Our joy is in and will be in those who we have poured into in love and affection. Those who we have discipled from a morally pure, non-hypocritical lifestyle. That's where our joy will be. It will be in having been used by God to love other people in the power of the Holy Spirit and to build our brothers and sisters in Christ up, to exhort and comfort and charge, to nurse the other disciples like a loving mother. That's where your joy is going to be, to have something at the end of the day that's not going to burn up. That's not going to burn up. Listen to this passage, 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 15. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, Wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day, capital D day, this is the day of the Lord, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward, joy, rejoicing. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Lord willing, we'll study this passage much more in depth when we get into 1 Corinthians. But what it's saying here is our work, building each other up, discipling each other, loving each other, living the right way for each other will be tested and there will be a reward and joy for those who have done work that's gold, silver, precious stones, right? And Paul and Silas are saying here, you are our joy. You are our joy because what we have in you ain't burning up. It's not burning up. We don't want our work to burn up either. And there's a lot of things we do in life that they're just going to burn. Lately, I've been exercising. I know, I know. I don't look like I need to. But <laughs> too much, too much laughing. This last week, I've been playing disc golf. That's what I've decided. It's a good way to get out there. I've been taking my son out there. I'm getting better. I'm putting some time into it, right? Um, I, I actually twice while I was playing this week, I went up to throw a disc and I slipped and I fell. 
Neither time did I think anybody saw me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But you do think, I, it's, it's over. I'm now old, right? Um, but I'm doing that. And Now listen, if the Lord comes and he says, David, what do you have to present? Who do you have to present? Who have you allowed me to work through you to disciple and care and love and treat like a, a child, your own child that you're nursing and show this, this kind of love to? Who do you have? And I go, well, now here's the thing. I don't have any of that. But have you seen me throw a Frisbee? I put some real time into that, Lord. Burn. It's burning. It's gone. Right? That's not getting us anywhere. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with playing disc golf. I'm just saying it's burning. If the Lord comes to you and says, show me the people who you've poured your life out for. And I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm not going to be happy. I will suffer loss. On the other hand, if I can say, here they are. Here are the people who I poured my life out for. I'm going to experience rejoicing, glory, joy in the Lord. I will feel that I have done something to honor the person who I say I love the most. My God, my King will be pleased with me. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want. But it doesn't come with hypocrisy. It doesn't come with wanting to get something out of it. It comes with a true, passionate, energetic, unbelievable love for other people and walking morally pure. I know what it feels like in life, because I have children, when your child accomplishes something, right? And I think it's going to feel something like that. Anything your child comes to, I know, like graduating from school or, or they get that first job or they get married and you're just beaming and there's just, you know, the whole thing. Mostly you're crying because how much it costs. All of that. I remember when Ethan first learned to tie his shoes. We were at a family reunion and I was just so proud to be able to show off that my son had learned to tie his shoes. And we'd come and there's a couple of my cousins and I'm like, hey, check this out, Ethan. Hey, listen, show him that you know how to tie your shoes, buddy. And he's like, Okay. Yeah. So he said, I'm like, yeah, the bunny goes through the hoop. And, what? and he ties his shoes perfect. Shoes are perfect. And I'm just like, what's up? And these guys are like, I mean, that's good, David, but he's 12 years old. <laughs> Some people's spiritual walk is like that. Right? Some people spiritually like that walk is like that. They're 12 years old, and you're still like, okay, put the bunny through the hoop, spiritually speaking. Right? Now, why is that? I'm not saying that to, to make someone feel bad at where they are spiritually. I'm saying that for us to say, have we been giving? Have they been receiving from us the love and affectionate, powerful, loving uh, discipleship that we're called to give them, that we should be showing them, that we should be showing each other, or have we held that back? And that's why they're still at that four or five-year-old stage when they should be at that 12-year-old stage. We're not growing without each other, people. We are the people of Acts Church. And we are here for you, for us, for each other, hopefully for so many more, as Lord willing. If the Lord will give us more and more people to minister to, that's great. But that's who we are and that's what we're about. Let's love one another. Let's have a true affection for one another. Let's care for each other like a nursing mother cares for her own children. Let's exhort and encourage and command one another in a loving way as a loving father does his own children. You, both of those apply to all of you. 
The male and the female version of these apply to all of us. The kind of care that a mother shows and the kind of exhortation that a father in the first century would have shown for his children, some of them being very harsh and horrible, some of them being very kind and gentle and patient. In fact, some of the philosophers talked about how a good father is not the one who's harsh and who's overbearing, but who gently does these things, who does them patiently. That's you to each other. The more that we love each other this way, the more the truth of the gospel, the truth of God's word, will be seen by others, heard by others, and believed by others as the truth from God. It is a supernatural witness for us to treat each other that way. The more we love each other in this way, the more rejoicing. The more rejoicing and glory and joy we will have in each other and in hopefully, Lord willing, so many others who God will hopefully put in our lives that we can love in this way. The more we love each other, the more we show true affection for one another, the more we will live a life out of moral purity and honor to God as strong men and women of God. 1 John 2.10. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. How are you loving your brothers and sisters? How are you loving people in Christ's church? How are you nursing them like your own child? How are you, how are you thinking about them in that way? Do you love, do you have the courage to say, Lord, I want you to give me that kind of love for my brothers and sisters in Christ? Because I think you know what it will cost. If God gives you that kind of love, it's going to change your life. It's going to change your life. It's the kind of love that will have to tear down the walls of isolation that you have put between you and other people so that you can feel comfortable, so that it doesn't get too real or too fanatical. It's the kind of love that will show in massive vulnerability to other people. They got to be able to see through. You want them to know you're not a hypocrite so they can believe in God? You got to show them you're not a hypocrite. That means they got to be able to see what's going on. Not just you at your best, not just you faking it, but the real you, warts and all. It's a kind of love that will destroy hypocrisy in your life. And yet for some of us, hypocrisy is safe but it will destroy it. It's the kind of love that will crash in and amputate your idols and your functional saviors that you have set up to make you feel better when you just don't trust God enough to do it for you. That's the kind of love that comes when we ask God to give us love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the kind of love that will make you hate, hate the things that you do and think in the dark. It'll make you hate those things because it's the kind of love that will renew your mind in Christ. It's the kind of love that may bring persecution, though. It may bring persecution, but I guarantee you it will produce amazing and eternal glory and joy. Yep, there's a cost to it. It's the kind of love that Jesus wants us to have, and he showed us this kind of love much more than any of us have ever showed it to anyone. It's the kind of love that Paul and Silas and Timothy had that God used to draw the Thessalonians to himself and to create a church there, a local body 
that was, that was his body that has been effective for thousands of years now in the letters that were, that were written to them and the people that have come down the line as disciples of Paul and Silas and Timothy and those people and the people that they talk to and the people they talk to because that love has been consistent. It's the kind of love that God can only give you through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's real. You want that? You're scared of that? You should be a little scared of that. Have you ever, have you counted the cost of that? Because I think a lot of us do think, yeah, I would love to love like that, but it would mean a lot of things. Maybe next year. Maybe when I retire. Eventually, I'll, I'll get there, right? If you're waiting until you're ready, let me just tell you a truth that you might as well just write down. You will never be ready. You can only be willing. You will never be ready for the kind of upheaval and transformation that comes when you say, God, give me radical, God-like love for other people. You will never be ready for the kind of radical submission and humility that comes with it. You will never be ready to say, whatever happens, God, I'm trusting you. I'm going to put my love out there, even though I know there are people who are going to take that love that I'm giving, and they're going to use it to persecute me or to destroy me or to use me, and yet I'm going to do all of that for you. takes a lot. You'll never be ready for it. You can only be willing to let God do it in you. Willing to experience God's joy forever. Because while all those costs are there, they're what makes the joy so sweet. So are you willing to let God give you his love for others? I think it's something we all struggle with. And while it's risky, as Pastor David said today, it's also worth whatever the cost. If this is something you'd like to talk more about, call us at 360-885-9000 or come see us at Axe Church this Sunday morning. Directions and all the info you need are just a click away at axechurchnw.org. Hope to see you soon and also next time here on Contemplate.